Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you for coming, and uh, I'm so glad you're here. And Rebecca and I are really delighted that we get to be part of this congregation, that we get to be part of you, we get to be the body of Christ here, in, of Grace Chapel, Watertown. And meeting you actually has been such a gift and a joy, being part of this incredible ministry of Grace Chapel, so we've really enjoyed that. And what I'm really deeply humbled that I get to serve you and to serve with you and to work with you as we reach the greater Boston area. I believe every single one of you has something to give to the body of Christ. I believe you have gifts and talents and uh, energy and passion. Uh, I mean, God has been so good and I've seen some of that. I've actually seen some of you roll up your sleeves like Eileen down in Kidstown on Linda, Victoria painting faces at Easter egg experience, uh, seeing Jared at the back there, seeing um, uh, Eileen actually uh, doing balloons for kids, each person really doing their part to be part of the body and to build the body and to reach the greater community has been such a joy for us. And uh, I can't wait to see what God does. Can, I can only imagine what he can do. And I love the local church. I'm really amazed by what God has done through you. And I want to thank also Pastor Richard for all his work and effort to help me feel a little bit uh, not always nervous because uh, this is a daunting task. Uh, um, but he's what I need to tell the other congregation. I need every single one of you. Uh, I need God, but I need every single one of you so we can work together and really reach people because people matter to God. God cares about people. And the local church is really the hope of the world. And as I'm talking to you about my message, remember last week was Easter. And as Pastor Brian challenged all of us, that sometimes someone or something has to die before we can truly live again. Being part of Jesus' movement is an invitation to die to our selfish wants, our needs, our now, our interest, Jesus invites you to make sacrifices for the sake of others. All of us get to let go of our self-interest and self selfishness, really, for Jesus' sake. Not just for the sake of others, but for Jesus' sake, in order to really begin living the kind of life that Jesus imagined for us. And Pastor Brian challenged us last week that uh, he, around the idea of a death experience, that is caused by either a proud, sinful self, or self-reliant or self-sufficient spirit. And if you've done that, there are also other things like a habit, addiction, a relationship, an attitude, all these things. These are death experiences. We have to die to ourselves so we can truly live. But today I want to talk to you about a different kind of death experience. Other times, uh, most of us have come through a death experience I would call like there's something you've lived through that's painful. There's something you've lived through that's heartbreaking. There's something you've lived through. So I want to talk to you. So the question I'm raising is what do you do when your life is painfully hard? Uh, where do you go? What do you do? And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in Uganda, East Africa. Uganda is, is uh, actually Lake Victoria is second largest lake in the world after Lake Superior and then the source of River Nile really begins uh, in Uganda I thought about this uh, if you're thinking about Uganda remember when Jesus was two years old he got taken to Egypt 
So we supplied water for Jesus. So, so, but anyway, um, so that's where I grew up. And Uganda is very beautiful. It's a border by Lake Victoria. It's, uh, they, they have rich resources. But one of the things about Uganda that you need to know, it was actually uh, plagued by violence and greed and tribal hatred. And that's what really, saw, it's almost ravaged the whole community. I mean, we're told that 500,000 people died when Idi Amin was president of Uganda. Now, and within a period after he was out of there, it, we had different presidents, like probably five or six presidents within a period of like two, three years. So it was, I w got to witness great tragedy. I got to witness lots of loss and lives really destroyed. During my childhood, when Idi Amin was the ruler there, he also tried to turn the country into an Islam nation. We were in a church one time, and soldiers stormed the building, and they walked right through. I was six, seven years old. They started spraying bullets and shooting inside, and all of us ducked in underneath the seats. And what they did, they got the men and the leaders, then they put them on buses and took them to prison. They left the men and the children. We got to go home, but we didn't know what would happen after we left, or after they left. And I remember one experience when I was with my mom, we got to go see my dad in prison. After he, had dr he was drugged away and hauled into prison, we, I got to see him actually on the other side of the glass. Uh, that was painful, that was hard. I couldn't understand what that was. I also remember, by the way, when the church was shut down. I mean, we get to be God's people in a church where we have peace and freedom and ex get to experience worship. I remember when we would meet in people's homes because the church had been shut down for a while. But by God's grace, we got through that. But when I, was, when I turned 10 years old, there's another president who came into power and he got to, actually he was ruthless. He was, his name was Obote and he, what he did was his soldiers really took control of the entire nation and, and Christians were really suppressed and, and I, after worship service one Sunday morning, July 2nd, I still remember 1982, my uh, soldiers came into our home at night after a Sunday of worship and uh, night they climbed into the balcony and my dad walked out to see what's going on. When he got there, they shot him. And my mom was assaulted and she contracted HIV over time that took her life. That was my sort of relational, emotional death experience. Something I had to deal with, something I had to work through. But I imagine you have a story that's different from my story. And I want to I ask you a question. Have you ever experienced something so bad, difficult, painful, that, that it made you doubt, does God exist? Made you doubt God's goodness? Made you doubt God's power? God's presence? Whether God really cares about you? Have you ever been through something so excruciating, painful, that you wondered whether God really cared? There's a woman Rebecca and I interviewed, and we talked to her. God is using her right now. But she went through an experience where her dad walked out of her home when she was 10 years old, divorced her mom, and she was struggling with this unforgiveness. That was her death experience. 
maybe you've been through an experience where you have a profession and you really want to advance and make progress, but you're sidetracked by jealousy and envy. Maybe you have a business and you have uh, colleagues and workers, people you work with that, that feel like uh, you can't really measure up, you can't meet the expectations. Uh, maybe you had a betrayal, a separation, a marriage. We know finances is one of the areas where marriages really struggle today. It's painful, it's hard. And you wonder, does God care? Is he interested? Have you ever felt or know someone who felt like giving up on God because of an experience they were going through? Think of a time when you were deeply hurt. I mean, if you're in college, college students, uh, you go through relational breakups. That could be a painful challenge. Or maybe you're a kid and your parents separate and you have to go visit dad one Sunday and, and another weekend you go to another. That's a very painful moment. It could be a health struggle that left you really struggling because your body's not working right. Maybe uh, financial pressures. It could be all of these things, all these hurtful experiences. Maybe someone mismanaged your savings account. You're in state of hopelessness. You wonder, okay, what do I do? Maybe you felt like something inside you died. Your hope was shriveled, shriveled. Here's what I know. When you go through these painful experiences, a couple of things we do. We tend to think. Uh, we tend to think. Uh, we tend to believe. We, then after we think about it, we begin believing, and then we conclude. Maybe God is angry. Maybe God, if God is there, he doesn't care. He's not interested. Uh, he knows I'm a sinner, so I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Uh, maybe you don't believe that. Uh, the God is punishing you. You believe. Maybe you think about, is God really, is, is God real? Is he, oh, he's absent. I mean, in my experience, in this moment, right now, he's, he's nowhere to be seen. This experience, this painful, this disappointment, this hurt, this whatever it is, proves that God doesn't exist. We think, we believe and conclude, maybe God doesn't really care. I mean, I prayed, I asked people to pray for me, but nothing happened. God didn't answer he didn't show up. Where do you go when you experience an emotional, relational death experience? All of us also have coping ways, methods. Sometimes we turn to friends and we think friends, maybe they can help us, can bring comfort and solace. But other times we feel like the gap or the hole is so big, they can't really fill the void. Some of us turn to religion. People turn to religion. Where okay, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try to do whatever it takes for me to make God happy with me. You serve more. You give more. You volunteer. You work really hard. But that becomes a worrisome an adventure. A worrisome and exhausting adventure. Some people isolate themselves and hope that they will keep from getting hurt. That's the opposite. Many of us, maybe we find ourselves really getting more busy. We become more busy. We pursue work and success and work really hard. We're driven, priorities. We put our careers up front. We 
we're trying to cover or escape the pain that's going on. What if I told you that your father in heaven, who loves you, wants to provide his compassionate presence, his presence. He wants to provide his ability, his power to do something in your life. Jesus wants to meet your you Jesus wants to meet us in our death experience and then use that experience, use that pain, use that situation to build your faith. So perhaps this morning you're struggling with maybe an emotional trauma from an experience that happened to you in the past or that's happening right now. I want you to know that God wants to do something in you. It's time for us as God's people, as God's children, to recognize that Jesus can bring new life through it and show us the purpose of that pain. When you turn to the scriptures, you find a passage that helps us understand this idea, how Jesus wants to help us. Because the question is, what do you do when your life is painfully hard? Where do you turn when your life is shaken and your confidence in God is not holding? John tells us the story of two women, Martha and Mary. They turn to Jesus in time of deep personal pain and deep personal disappointment. The Gospel of John is the only one that records this passage, this story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Martha actually is named first. They suggests that she was the oldest. Now, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and Jesus, they were close. They're close. They had this unbreakable bond, you would say. The text says Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. They had a deep connection. They made, on occasion, they made provisions for Jesus when he was making his way into Jerusalem. He made a stop in Bethany. They were devoted to Jesus. So John tells us, the writer of the Gospel of John tells us, these sisters, when they struggle, they turn to Jesus for help. When they felt like defeat was calling, or their brother was about to leave, when they felt stuck, they couldn't do something to help their brother, when they felt doubt whether God exists, whether God could do something good, when they felt like they were beginning to disengage with what was happening, with the reality that was happening around them, they turned to Jesus. Look at the passage in John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with, hair, with her hair. So the sisters, there's the word, see that, sent word to Jesus, Lord, teacher, rabbi, master, the one you love, the one you care for, the one, you know, you spend time with him, Lazarus, he's sick. Did you catch that? Deep pain, potential loss of a brother. And they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. Now, some scholars suggest maybe it would take about four days to travel from where Jesus was, Batanara, to Bethany. That's about 150 miles for any healthy person walking. I mean, we drive cars, right? Just, just get in a car and get to where you need to go. 
150 miles, it takes about, how many hours? Two hours? But here was, they're desperate, there's a sense of urgency, now is not the time to shrink from action. Now is the time for Jesus to do something about it. We don't know if the message reached Jesus before Lazarus died. We, didn't, we don't even know whether he had pneumonia or cancer or something devastating. But we know that often when there is an illness, there comes great pain. And we know that the sisters were so concerned, they were so overwhelmed that they sent word to Jesus, see if Jesus could do something. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. Where he was, two more days. He stayed, two more days. Jesus, come on, Jesus. Jesus hears about the pain. Jesus receives word about the sickness. Jesus is the healer, the miracle worker, the one who raises the dead, the one who opens blind eyes, the one who uh, makes the lame walk, the one who heals leprosy, uh, the, the, the God in a body, the healer, the miracle worker, decides to wait. You felt that way when God took too long to show up? If God is too slow, maybe. Maybe God doesn't understand. You felt like he's deaf to your urgent need. What's the holdup? Uh, why delay? Uh, wait. I don't know anyone who likes, and do you know anybody who likes to and enjoys waiting? I don't. Waiting can be painful, can be hard. I mean, Jesus, he's the healer, the, he's God. He could just send word to Martha and Mary and heal Lazarus. He could just send words of comfort. He could just send words of reassurance. Say, hey, look, it's going to be okay. And they've seen Jesus do some amazing things. But Jesus doesn't rush. All of us have experienced moments when we wondered, what is God doing? Where is God? Now, at the time, Jesus' plans didn't make any sense. But in our lives, as in the life of Lazarus, the answer to why God does what he does is far different than what we imagined. God always acts in ways and in time because he's God. He's sovereign. His ways are far higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Question. If you ever had to wait in a hospital room, where you knew that the doctor could do something, but maybe he's hundreds of miles away. Have you ever had to wait in a funeral home? Have you ever had to wait for your daughter or your son to feel better? He didn't. Imagine waiting at the bank. You applied for a loan and to approve, and they said, well, one month. And they said, two months, maybe three months. Especially if you know the person can actually get you out of that tension, the, the you're feeling that sense of pain. Waiting, imagine waiting for a promotion for a while. You get passed over and passed over and passed over. Years go by, decades go by. Your dreams, your hopes, and all of that just die. Jesus delayed because he was continually teaching and preparing his disciples for when he was gone. Even in times of waiting, we're called to really interpret circumstances in such a way that it's not that God doesn't love us. God loves us and he will walk with us through those circumstances. Look at the next verse. After two days of delay, Jesus said, let us go back to Judea. Now look what the disciples say. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews they, there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Some of the disciples didn't want to go back. Did you see that? Trying, like, no, this is not the time to go. This is not going to work out. Remember, Jesus, you were arrested. This was a great time for self-preservation, to retreat and back off. Let's pause. Time out, Jesus. This is not the time to go. To... I wonder if they forgot who Jesus was. Like sometimes we forget. When we're in a crisis, we're in the moment, we don't think about, or we, it's, it's not natural for us to say, okay, God is here. God is going to do something. This is not the time for self-protection. The Bible tells us Thomas, you know Thomas, Thomas the twin, he said to the rest of the disciples, okay, after they had a little exchange, he's like, well, let us go that we may die with him. Now, we know Thomas is a coward. We know Thomas is a doubter. We know Thomas is a person who is like, I'm not sure, sure about this. He has questions. But here we get to see actually his devotion, his loyalty, his confidence. And he's willing to die for Jesus. By the time he got there, by the time Jesus got there, okay, Jesus now is going, making his way there. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't promise to protect Lazarus from death or from pain or hurt. He didn't say that Mary and Martha would be protected from or saved from life's disappointments. Jesus would have to hurry because he didn't have to hurry because of their closeness. The only thing he promised, he said, that this sickness, this illness, this, this issue, this thing you're feeling would not end in death. Sometimes we misunderstand God's timing. Other times we misunderstand the reasons as to why things happen to us. I mean, my mom's assault, my father's death. In God's economy, God's plan, they were fulfilling his purposes. Never understood at the time. See, God always controls events. God always overrules events, even when they are for evil. So God always uses events so that he can serve his purposes and are good. Look at the next verse. So Jesus makes his way to see Mary and Martha. Martha hears that Jesus is in his way, so she rushes back to meet Jesus halfway, and she raises a question to Jesus, if you can, yeah, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Have you ever had that question? If you had been filling the gap. God, I counted on you. I prayed about this. I believed in you. I trusted you. I, I've been faithful. I've served Nothing. Sister Mary says the same word. Mary, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she felt she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Do you hear Martha and Mary's disappointment, their regret, their reserved hope? Their faith is fragile right now. Their fledging faith submerged in grief. They responded the same way we respond sometimes. With disillusionment, anger, and disappointment. Now, it's in those moments that we get to, we fail to comprehend, we fail to understand the full extent of the Lord's power. We, 
the full extent of the Lord's presence, His compassion. It says it here, verse 33. Look what the verse says. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. Look at the word. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. He was deeply moved. Now, the word trouble there means to shake with emotion. That he, he sees and feels the anguish of God's people. When there's a death or a pain or a frustration, God feels what you, what you feel. He was feeling what they feel. God felt the loss of my father. God felt the trauma caused by, to my mother. All the times I've sensed maybe affection, affirmation, appreciation from my parents was not there. Maybe there was a gap and deficit where I felt maybe I'll never be loved, cared for, or wanted. I'll never reach my full potential. God felt that because God feels what you feel. He feels your pain, your loss, and your disappointment. Look at the next verse. Jesus asked, because he does feel, he said, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Next verse says, Jesus wept. Jesus weeps not with the kind of hopelessness we endure, but with compassion, with care, with concern. Jesus shed tears. The Son of God is fully divine, yet he emotionally connects with Martha and Mary, he connects with you too because you bear his likeness and his image. Jesus connects emotionally to whatever situation we may struggle to make sense. Think about it. God voluntarily became one of us in the person of Jesus. He suffered as we suffer. He was tempted like we were tempted, yet he didn't sin. He endured injustice and mistreatment. I'm comforted to know that he understands. I'm comforted to know that he empathizes. We can easily now, looking back, accept that in his resurrection, the sign is for us, even when we feel abandoned, even when we feel mistreated or wounded. See, Jesus is never, he's not surprised or caught off guard when our hearts are broken. He's not like, oops, what just happened? Jesus deals like he deals with Martha and Mary, he deals with us tenderly. He, Jesus offers no rebuke. Jesus doesn't express disappointment. Look what he says. He tells Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I, I know, I know Jesus. He will in the last day. Not right now, in the last day. Jesus is like, no, pause. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha missed it here. She confessed faith in Christ despite her disappointment. She trusts despite Jesus' delay to act. Her decision, Jesus' decision not to act doesn't diminish her confidence in him. We don't have to wait. Jesus was saying, you don't have to wait till the last day to begin receiving this new life, this abandoned life. And this resurrection life is a person. Jesus holds resurrection power that can transform our deepest pain, our deepest disappointment and loss 
now if we trust. It is not as, you know, this is not a special kind of energy or a commodity or the secret or something. It's a person. He gives you new life. And that new life happens when we open our lives to him. I say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. Every death experience is infused with new life and new purpose and a sense of mission. That's what God has done with me. Look what happens in this next verse. Jesus stood outside the tomb. Now they lead him to the tomb. And people are like, no, you don't want to go to the tomb. He's been there. He's been in the grave for four days. And by the, by the way, it smells. He just says, nope. He goes there. He looks up. He gives thanks to God the Father. And he calls Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. Now, one preacher, one quaint preacher said, if Jesus had not shouted Lazarus by na Lazarus' name, all the tombs would have rumbled open. And these long dead people would have answered the call. See, Jesus, what he had in mind, he said that when he heard this in the next verse, Jesus said, this sickness, this situation will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. It's God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. The point is, Jesus, the point is, death might claim the life of Lazarus, but death would not have the final say in the matter. Did you catch that? Death might claim, might put a chain around Lazarus' body and life and spirit, but it would not have the last word. Jesus would. See, death is universal. Uh, death comes to all of us. We all succumb to death. Uh, because death comes to all of us through Lazarus' death and resurrection, Jesus would show the whole world. 2,000 years later, we're sitting here as God's people talking about this passage because Jesus was declaring and saying, hey, death holds no power over him. Because of him, death holds no power over any of us. All of us, it comes to all of us, but has no power over us. See, your bad experience will not end in death even. Sometimes it may lead to death. I want you to know that God always redeems what apparently seems unredeemable. God always restores. Your painful chapter, I want to encourage you this morning, your painful chapter of life or a memory will happen, but it will not be the end. This deep pain and deep loss won't end in death. It's not the last of your life. It's the beginning of God's work in you. See, Jesus had his reasons. I have a couple. Jesus had his reason why he waited. Jesus, he was following a divine timetable. Because God controls outcomes. His goal was to help future and present disciples. Uh, Jesus was used this painful experience to expand their foggy, their limited vision, and their perspective. He delayed so that he could show them, he would have an opportunity to show them that he's the resurrection life. He can give them the God kind of life. The other reason he delayed was he wanted to expand their vision so that he could have this, use this opportunity to build, to increase and to establish their faith. Uh, he wanted to grow their faith. He wanted to grow their confidence in God. So that when they're going through these difficult circumstances, their dependency, their attitude was turned upward. Look at the next verse. 
Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. See, the word believed in him. They placed their faith in him. They trusted him. They placed their weight in him. They say, okay, if he is the resurrection in life, if he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he's going to do, then I'm going to trust him. Next verse. Then Jesus said, hey guys, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Have you, friends, met somebody who had an amazing faith? I mean, they're going through a sickness. They had big faith. They trusted God. They lost their job, but they had an unshakable confidence in God. Uh, they got passed over a promotion, and they had their confidence in God. Uh, they were betrayed in a marriage. Or they, confidence is in God. Have you met somebody like that who showed unshakable confidence in God's love and sovereignty? Jesus wanted to confidence in God. See, the point of this, Jesus wanted confidence in God, not only for just the disciples, but for Mary and Martha, but for the on, people who were around looking and people who were there to mourn, and the Jews who were present. He knew that raising Lazarus would lead to greater faith. Our death experiences might claim something from us, might steal something from us, might shake our confidence in God, might even break our lives into pieces a little bit. We feel like we're left to pick up the remains of our emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual life. But Jesus makes the point that they will not have the last, last word, the last say in the matter. He does. That takes confidence in God. So my early years were years of deep sadness, deep loss, and deep disappointment. My middle years and teens were actually years of healing and restoration and recovery. God used churches. God used People, God used friends and relatives to redeem and restore and help put pieces together. God used a woman by the name I call Mama Rubina. She started an orphanage with the African Children's Choir. They, she got inspired to bring me to the United States. I met a family in Washington State. Uh, Gary and Sandy Vandergren got nudged them to adopt me, to send me to school here in the United States. And God didn't stop there. God had just started his work. He used churches like Kenyon Hills, used colleges, he used Grace Chapel over the years. He's used the United Church of Shirley to point me towards my calling. And he has used professors and pastors and mentors and teachers and counselors to pour into my life. Even more, most, most of all, God has used the body of Christ everywhere I've gone to shape my faith and to deepen and increase my confidence in God. The most recent years have been years of growth in my confidence in God, and I'm still on that journey, and I want to take this journey with you. Discovery and flourishing, I've discovered why God made me. I want you to discover why God made you. See, God uses every bad experience. God used many people to rescue me from a place of great loss and death and destruction. God always shows up, friends. God breathes new life in our lives. He can do with you when you give your life to him. Did you know, did you know that you also have a story with God's fingerprints all over it? When God called you out of that addiction, that painful past, that hope, hopelessness, that loss and forgiveness, when you let go of your unforgiveness, bitterness, when you were afraid, God, uh, just like when Jesus called Lazarus out from the grave, he called you out of these See, the point is, really, God is far more concerned about growing big, bold, audacious faith than with making us comfortable. 
He wants to build your faith so that your confidence will be unshakable by what's going on around you. Amazing faith always invites us to stop striving, uh, to seize holding back our lives from him. Because uh, he wants you. He wants your life, your priorities, your time, your energy, your resources. He wants you. Sometimes you may have doubts and questions. You can bring them to God. Honesty. See, risk and surrender are often invitations for God to do something undeniable and, ex- and something unexplainable. You have to risk. You have to sacrifice. You have to, you have to jump in the, so God can do something. How does God want to use your pain? As Christ followers, we can learn from Jesus to show, one thing we could do, to show empathy for people in our church. Not just here in our neighborhoods. Not just our neighborhoods, our community. Greater Chapel, Grace Chapel, wider community. Have empathy, compassion, understanding. You place yourself in someone else's shoes. What is it like to be in their shoes? What is it like to be them? What is it like? See, your pain and disappointment can become a platform for engaging others and leading them to Jesus. Uh, Whatever you've experienced, God could use that as a message to engaging others. So it could be a conversation starter. It could be a bridge that that connects you with that person who's struggling. Will you join me in thinking about how God can use your life? How can we as a congregation grow and deepen our confidence in God? Hey, are you willing to use your painful? Are we willing to use our painful experiences to reach others? Are we willing to open up our lives up to people so that they can see and hear our story, our pain, our struggles and fear, and then also introduce them to Jesus, the healer, the miracle worker, that Jesus, the one who can transform that pain, can use that. Are we willing to be vulnerable with our neighbors into their broken lives? And go into their broken lives and broken homes and broken worlds and introduce them to the one who raises the dead we've been singing about. See, Jesus gives us resurrection life. And when we give him our pain, he uses that pain and disappointment to engage with others in order to lead them to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, we give you our lives. God, we surrender our lives. God, we just, we just don't want these to be words. We ask that you help us to surrender our lives. Surrender our time, our energy, our families, the things we hold back from you. We give them to you. We ask that God, would you bring healing in those places where our hearts are broken, where hearts are aching, where hearts are just, uh, we're struggling. So I pray that if there's someone here who is going through an experience like I described today, I pray that God, would you meet them this morning? God, we thank you that we can be part of a community that you've redeemed, you've restored, where you continue to do amazing things. God, as you grow our faith, help us to really look to you, God, always. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the work you're doing here, Grace. God, we pray that many lives, many people's lives will get to... See what God can do, that he can raise the dead. In the name of Jesus, amen.